the BRRRR strategy is, it stands for buy, renovate, rent, and uh, refinance. And then sometimes people say repeat as well. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by Ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. I am DJ Scruggs, along with my partner, Adam Adams. Hey, everyone. Hey, Adam. So it's a, it's a new year, and we're going to learn some new strategies, and we're excited to learn uh, a new one that neither of us had ever heard of before from our guest today, who is Jennifer Beatles. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, guys. Thanks for coming on. So, Jennifer, can you uh, tell us a little bit what, what you're working on now? And uh, that'll be a nice teaser, and then we can circle back to that. And, and give, us, give us your background, how you got into real estate. Sure. Yeah, so what I'm working on right now, just to kind of um, give you guys an idea of my <laughs> current projects here. So uh, I'm currently doing some new construction developments. Uh, so we're building small multifamily buildings. We currently have uh, two duplexes that we're doing right now. And uh, I am just north of Seattle. So I'm about 40 minutes north of Seattle in the, it's called the Snohomish County area. And we've got the new construction developments. Um, this Actually, the deal that I'm doing right now is great. It's, it's almost similar to a reverse burr in a way. And I call it a reverse burr because we had purchased a house that came with an extra lot next door. Uh, real estate agents are notorious for kind of missing some of this stuff on vacant land. But anyways... We bought a house, uh, flipped that, and got the land um, almost for free. I think our basis was about $20,000 in the land. And so there, we found a little uh, loophole in the code that allowed us to build actually two duplexes on this property as opposed to um, you know, just one. And so we're building these two duplexes, and uh, we should be hopefully getting permits here in a little bit. But there's kind of another interesting spin on this. So... Um, we're building these duplexes. We'll be at the end of the day, we'll be into it about 500,000. It should be worth about a million. So we'll definitely be able to, um, you know, recoup all of our initial investment on the cash out refinance on the end of that. But we're building this with a specific program in mind. And that program is called the Supported Living Program. And this is a program that is through the state of Washington and actually every state has a similar program. In some states, it's called the Supported Living Program. In other states, um, it's called, you know, some, something a little bit different. But uh, basically, it's a program through the state that provides housing for people with intellectual disabilities. And it's something that we really kind of stumbled upon two years ago. And we now have about half of our portfolio um, we've converted to these types of rentals and, of course, these, you know, four new units that we're building. And really the only difference in building them is that we are building them uh, with a single story focus. So um, that is, you know, one thing that's important to the program is to not have. Multiple stories. Um, yeah, yep, stairs on the inside. So uh, so really, you know, we're building these. Again, this is, you know, a, an awesome deal, deal where we'll be, you know, recoup our initial investment at the end of the day. Could also, you know, pay ourselves some, you know, if we wanted to or if we could just keep the loan balance low. And then we have built-in tenants. So the second that, you know, we get uh, what's called certificate of occupancy, uh, we'll start receiving rents on these units uh, from the state through this program. Terrific. So we're going to want to definitely circle back to that uh, because it's something I'd never heard of before. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, why don't you back, back us up a little bit and tell us how you got into real estate in the first place. Yeah. So I got into real estate um, 
really because I just had a desire to own a home. So I worked um, a lot of times two jobs. Uh, like, for example, I worked at, we have uh, espresso stands here in Washington because it's always <laughs> cold and rainy. And so I would work as a barista from five in the morning till one o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would go home, take a little nap. And I worked as a server at a restaurant, usually from like three to seven or three to nine or, you know, sometimes it'd be a little bit later than that. And, you know, I saved up all my money and bought my first house. And, you know, that was good and great, except the fact that that was 2007. Oh. <laughs> so, so the market took a little bit of a turn. But, uh, but I think that there was something about owning my own home um, that, you know, was a, was a goal. And then, of course, when I achieved that, it was great. Uh, the, only, the only downside was I was like, huh, I went from paying, I think it was $900 a month in rent to like $1,900 a month in a mortgage. So um, I think my execution on that plan, you know, didn't go as well, but um, I, I got the real estate bug. And so my next um, step was really to, you know, get a job in the real estate industry. So I applied and got hired uh, with a local construction company and they did a lot of different things. So they did land development, spec building, and then they also built small multifamily properties. And so I worked there for about two years um, and, you know, it was really, gosh, just a rough time. I mean, banks stopped lending. Other builders were, yeah. you know, losing their projects. Um, but really, I learned for a the lot. For the audience, And so um, in May of 2009, I actually got my license because um, I saw a, you know, a sale happening, right? The, <laughs> the greatest sale um, that I, you know, I, I believed would be available, you know, in the next 10 years or so. So I got my license and for seven years, actually, I worked as an investment-focused real estate broker, um, helping other investors um, kind of finish off and acquire some of these defunct construction projects, did a lot of flipping, bought at the foreclosure auction, and really just kind of did anything and everything that you can imagine, aside from commercial real estate, big commercial projects, um, for for that period of time. Perfect. So, th and that was, how old were you when you were doing the barista and the serving jobs, when you were doing two jobs in Seattle? Yeah, that was pretty much, gosh, I think from, you know, really like 19 to 21. Okay. And then at 21 is when you started working for this new construction spec home uh, company, right? Got your yep. bug. Mm -hmm. And then you did that for seven years. Uh, and did foreclosure auctions. You've done flips. Uh, you've also done a couple other really cool uh, strategies, right? Um, it's like the Burr strategy. Yeah, why don't you explain what the Burr strategy is and how you've used it? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, the Burr strategy is, it stands for buy, renovate, rent, and uh, refinance. And then sometimes people say repeat as well. Um, and basically that came about, so, uh, you know, my husband and I, I, I was working with all these investors, helping other people build their portfolio, which I love. Um, and, you know, we wanted to do it ourselves. There's a point when I said, you know, hey, I love being this investment focused real estate agent, but there was long hours, nights, weekends, a lot of just, you know, crazy, <laughs> crazy amount of work. Um, and so I said, you know, hey, we need to start buying our own properties so that, you know, eventually I can choose to be, choose to really do what I want to do. Yeah. So, uh, but the challenge was we didn't have a ton of money. And so, you know, it was this thing that there was all of these, you know, bank foreclosures and these just really um, bad 
bad condition properties out there, uh, but they couldn't qualify for financing. And so a friend of mine uh, owned a hard money lending company and he was like, well, hey, I'll give you the loan, you know, for these um, rental properties that you want to buy. You just fix it up and refinance me. And I said, oh, my gosh, you can do that. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, you know, as soon as we found that out, he would give us um, 100% financing, wow. which is kind yeah, of unheard of back then. Yes. I mean, it's, you know, pretty common these days. But uh, he would give us 100% financing. Oftentimes, also, we'd stack in the renovation budget. And, you know, we would fix the place up and then refinance as soon as, you know, sometimes we'd have to put tenants in there or sometimes, you know, as we were kind of increasing our income, our debt to income ratio was good enough that we didn't necessarily have to have tenants Mm -hmm. at that point. Um, But, yeah, we started really kind of buying our rentals um, after we had done the owner occupancy thing for a while Mm -hmm. uh, using the Burr strategy. And then uh, we would go back and I talked my local bank into giving us HELOCs. So they would give us a 70 LTV let's, let's, will you define? Uh, and then subtract whatever the first mortgage was. And then so a lot of times, you know, there'd be 50, 60, $70,000 left over in equity. Could you, and then we'd use uh, that. Jennifer, can you define what a HELOC is? Oh, yeah. It's a home equity line of credit. Perfect. Yeah, and Perfect. I've heard they don't give those much anymore, but maybe I'm talking to the wrong banks. <laughs> yeah, I haven't had any trouble. I think we have like uh, a little over two hundred thousand or so, just kind of in HELOCs, sitting, you know, ready to use at any That's moment. Great. So, That's so it <laughs> seems like in everything that you've done, you've always been an out of box thinker. You've always been a forward thinker. Um, by you know, you're just twenty one. You know what you want to do, and you find a way to work with a company who's already doing what you wanted to do. And then you kind of get into the Burr strategy, uh, a, a way to kind of come in and use a hard money lender with 100% financing, not, be, not have to come out of pocket with anything, but you're able to buy a house, renovate it with somebody else's money, get a renter in there, and then you refinance it out, get all that money back, pay the hard money lender, and you've been repeating this, and you have get some home equity line of credits, HELOCs, over and over, uh, everything that you've done is has been incredible, and I think we could spend a lot more time on all of those things. But I really like to get into this niche that you're into now, uh, that we kind of spoke about at the beginning, and so other people can learn how would they be able to do the same thing. So can we get back into the supported living program that you're doing up in Seattle, and how other people might be able to get into the same thing? Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, we actually completely stumbled upon this strategy uh, two years ago. So I found a triplex that was listed on the commercial MLS, and the marketing comments were very odd. It said, group home, disabled tenants, buyer beware. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, like, like I, I kid you not, I wish I would have screenshotted that. But uh, so I'm like, group home, I'm like, what, you know, what is this? And I called the agent, and of course... Uh, you know, no, no beef against commercial agents, but sometimes it seems like they don't really know, you know, what they're listing. And, and the guy literally said, you know, I, I don't know what it is. I guess the tenants are all disabled. I don't know how it works. Um, you know, basically, if you want to go look, let me know. So we went and looked. And in fact, you know, all of the tenants were um, intellectually had intellectual disabilities. And so there was uh, kind of a property manager who worked for a provider 
And, you know, we really struck up a conversation with her and I just said, okay, so what is this? How does this work? And she really went over all the details and she said, yeah, you know, all of these um, tenants have intellectual disabilities. They earn income from sometimes multiple sources. They get uh, social security income, disability income. Um, Sometimes, you know, they get pensions and things from family members, but uh, the state pays us to provide the care to them. So, you know, if you were to buy this property, you wouldn't have anything to do with the care. That is our job. You don't pay for us. Um, The place is fully staffed 24 hours a day. However, none of the staff live here. That's, you know, not allowed with this program. And, um, you know, they did say if there's anything that needs to be upgraded to the property for a specific resident that might be moving in, the resident comes with $12,000 in property modification funds. And so we would just ask your permission, you know, if we could do those modifications and, you know, if so, then we'll get it done and have the state pay for it. And, and so it really sounded honestly too good to be true. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, I, I went, uh, you know, higher up and actually talked to the specific um, provider, you know, head of the department. And again, you know, he, really kind of reiterated that and said, yeah, you know, this is, it's really difficult for us to find landlords um, because it's a stigma. Um, You know, all the tenants, of course, have intellectual disabilities and, um, and they said, you know, we really have a need and, you know, if if this works out for you guys, we'd love to continue the relationship. And so uh, we did purchase that property and, you know, really kind of spent the first year I, I guess, you know, I really wanted to make sure that what we bought is, is really, you know, would turn out well right. and, you know, what we thought we were getting and things went really well. And so, you know, I said, okay, you know, we, we feel comfortable enough purchasing additional properties, you know, for you with this program. And so I said, but, you know, I need to understand a little bit more about the criteria. And the basic criteria was just that it needs to be single story. If there's a few steps that, you know, are in the front of the property to get into the property, adding wheelchair ramps is very mm-hmm. easy. You know, of course, the state would pay for that. Um, they can't have more than four bedrooms per unit that would classify as a group home, which would require specific licensing and you know zoning requirements. Um, but with this program, we actually don't have any of that. There's no spec, you know, special insurance that's needed on our end there's no licensing you know nothing like that um and i found that actually multifamily works perfect because we can maximize the number of bedrooms and they they pay on a per bedroom rate so obviously you know if i could find a duplex that has you know three bedrooms or four bedrooms per unit we can get anywhere from you know six rooms to eight rooms rented out that's amazing and and does um I'm just curious how you structure this because typically with a real estate deal, you'll you'll create an LLC to go um, to hold the property in. Um, but it sounds like there's a there could be at least a management component that go, kind of goes above and beyond typical property management. And do you do you form a separate company for that, or is there someone you contract for that? How how does that work? No, we actually have no need for property managers. So you know the rents are guaranteed, and there's never any tenants to place. That is the state and the provider's job. So for example, you know, we've had a couple of vacancies where, you know, we had a a guy that moved in and he just wasn't a good fit for the other, you know, residents that were in that unit. 
And so they moved him out. The unit sat vacant. And then, of course, we got rent no matter what. So there's no real property management element to that. The only thing that, of course, does need to be handled is the normal, you know, landlord tenant um, laws, you know, such as, okay, a hot water heater goes out. You're going to need to send somebody to fix that. So what we've done with that is um, a lot of times we've given uh, the provider our handyman's contact information and they'll just contact him directly for whatever, you know, the issue is. Or if it's something that, you know, my husband can take care of, he'll go and take care of that. But yeah, we don't have any property management there. Okay, so the provider, this is, I guess, what I'm missing. The provider is, uh, that's, you mentioned you had to have 24-7 care, but they can't live on site. Is that what the provider does? And are are they paid separately? Yes. Yes, they are paid by the Ah, state. Are they also hired by the state? Correct. Perfect. Do you do, does the provider have to deal with diapers, medication, or activities but that's their job that's not your concern yeah we are completely removed from anything to do with the care side i have two more questions uh one was as you were going through and explaining this you did say that most of the residents have an income but you also said that the state is the one who pays for them to live there so so i just wanted to kind of um dive into that so i understand it a little bit more Yeah. So each resident has a little bit of a different, um, I guess, income scenario. And so in some cases, if the resident only, let's say, for whatever reason, receives a very small amount um, from Social Security income, then the state will cover that difference or a nonprofit will cover that difference. Okay. So it really does depend on that individual's um, specific scenario. And I believe that part of that comes in with um, each resident has a different level of care needed. And, and I think they rate them on a, on a particular scale. And that's, I think, based on the severity of their condition. Perfect. And what a- So, but we get checks no matter what. Okay, okay. I guess if that makes sense. So it's so you're right. I think it's a little bit convoluted. It's like, well, who's really paying? Is it the state or is it the resident? Yeah. And each resident, though, the provider has a power of attorney mm-hmm. um, or guardianship over their finances. So they so in some cases we'll get checks, you know, handwritten checks from the provider out of the uh, payee bank account for the resident, and then other times if it's a vacancy. You know, we get that check from the provider, which okay. gets reimbursed by the state. And what about um, when you were talking about the twelve thousand uh, dollar per for property maintenance that is per person? Now, is that yeah, it's for property modification. Property modification. So, like for example, we had one guy moved in, and he was in a he had a walker, and so there was carpet in his mm-hmm. bedroom that he was moving into, and they said, hey, you know, carpet is not going to be ideal for him. We need uh, laminate floors. Um, You know, we'll take care of it. Do we have your permission to pay for and install and have professionally installed laminate floors? And, of course, we said yes. So I guess Mm -hmm. my question would be, does everybody have exactly $12,000, or is it just up to $12,000 for the property modification? Yeah, it's up to 12000 per person for property modifications. And that's only if they need it, right? Perfect. Yes, yep. And then another... Yeah, we did have another another example was there was one resident that um, spent a lot of time out, outside. 
And so they said, hey, we'd like to fully fence the property for this resident, you know, and again, is that okay? And so that's another thing that, um, you know, fell within that category. And then right now you're actually building, uh, you're building small multifamilies brand new. You have a few duplexes going today um, and you do get paid per bedroom. So just curious, what size of bedrooms do you, are you, are you building right now? Like how big are those bedrooms? Yeah, the bedrooms, gosh, I don't remember exactly. I mean, I, they're, they're small. I mean, they may be eight by 10, eight by 11. The units themselves are a little shy of 1100. Um, so they're smaller units, um, with a little more emphasis on the living areas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, kind of more important for yeah. them. Um, and, and just to give you an idea of the rents. So if I were to rent our new construction units, you know, that same exact, um, property to a regular tenant, we'd probably get 15, maybe $1,600 a month in regular rent. But in this case with supported living, they pay $600 a bedroom. So we're actually able to get $1,800 per unit per month with this program. And again, the provider is being paid by the state as well. So that's not an expense that goes on top. Yeah. I mean, we save, gosh, I mean, if you were to add up whatever you would assume for a vacancy rate plus, you know, property management, um, things like that. I mean, I'd say that we're saving at least, you know, 15, maybe even 20% on the expense side and almost always generating a higher income than from a regular tenant. All right. So I have one last question. Just curious. Uh, These are generally going up to four bedrooms because if you get too big, then they start having to go into licensing and group homes. Uh, My question is, how many bathrooms are you building in these new units? Yeah. So uh, it's going to be two full baths. Two full baths. Okay. Terrific. Well, this has been fantastic. I had never even heard of this strategy until we talked to you. And it, it, it's, I, I hear a lot about assisted living, but this is a, a really kind of a, a really interesting subset of it that's um, uh, fascinating to learn about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I had actually looked into assisted living as well as a kind of different alternative strategy and was really turned off when I, you know, realized how much liability there is on the care side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, there's some ways that you can kind of mitigate that by setting up separate businesses and having, you know, other other things put into place. Um, but with this, it's great because we have, you know, so many other benefits of doing it, but we don't have that additional liability. Um, so that was really, you know, a huge benefit to us. Well, thanks for sharing it with us. And where can folks find you online, Jennifer? Yeah. So uh, I blog about all of my kind of different odd (laughs) real estate investing um, experiences, I guess you could call it, at reimillionaire.com. reimillionaire.com. We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, A lot of creative strategies. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I'll definitely be going on reimillionaire.com to see uh, a little bit more detail on, on that. Me too. Thanks, Jennifer. Great. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. If you got value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Until next time, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go, but until next time, think outside the box.